Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Piria and Elizabeth Zhovkova. In this episode, I meet innovation policy expert Padmashree Gelsampat, who describes technology as a tool of change during our conversation on the importance of technological innovation. Living in a digitalized world, Padmashree shares her thoughts on the new reality, the strategic means for national digital development and her leading concerns about it. and thank you for being here with me today. Your research is focused on technological innovations. In what way digital technologies empower and facilitate change? Um, thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Um, so, uh, and that's such an important question. Um, there are so many ways in which technological innovations, um, especially in the digital economy, empower and facilitate change. Um, in, in the first instance, for instance, my work shows that they really increase help, uh, increase competitiveness in, in a number of traditional sectors. So you can use uh, big data and artificial intelligence in sectors like agriculture um, to actually enhance yields. You could use, again, AI and cloud computing in healthcare to enhance the effectiveness of healthcare interventions. Okay. You could also use a lot of new digital technologies in manufacturing and services to enhance productivity. Um, another way in which they really facilitate empower and facilitate change is by promoting completely new new sectors to emerge. And we've seen what these new sectors can do in, in much of the developed world today, like for instance in the US and in Europe, you see that with AI and with big data and cloud and internet of things, uh, really, there's been a whole sea change in the way we do things and the way we uh, we imagine uh, our daily life. And these new sectors, they're 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 beginning to take root in a, in a, in a much stronger way in much of the developing world. Um, a third way in which digital technologies can empower and facilitate change is by allowing us actually to to construct or to create completely new business models. And in these new business models, what you see over time is that you see that, uh, you know, inventors or innovators, businesses, they are sort of enhancing value or creating new value by cutting out intermediaries, you know. And in the past, uh, you as the consumer had to actually access a service which didn't exist or existed with a lot of intermediaries which imposed costs. And now these costs are cut off through new digital apps or platforms that try to offer you those services. Now, and this is in, especially in a lot of uh, developing countries, or um, like in Asia or Africa, where I do a lot of my work, you also see that there are lots of interesting developments in uh, using digital technologies in a number of sectors, which is empowering and facilitating change. So on the one hand, you have things like ad tech and fintech, right? Which is financial technologies and agriculture technologies, and when they integrate themselves, so they enhance actually and empower farmers 
to to cope much better with actually uh, agricultural uh, processes than they could before. Okay, but you also see the emergence of completely new kinds of firms which are stepping into either link digital technologies to conventional sectors, like for instance, I worked with a Kenyan firm which is trying to produce um, provide smart electricity grids to combine renewable energy with uh, you know conventional energy grids. Or um, there is a Ghanaian firm with whom I worked for, so I interviewed them during the course of one of my projects. And um, they are trying to provide, actually use uh, blockchain-based technologies to increase uh, cold chain management in healthcare for health products, vaccines, drugs, and so on, which needs to be stored in a particular way. Um, and also to prevent uh, counterfeiting of medicines in the African market. So, you know, you can have apps where you can code in a number and you can, the consumer can check when he or she receives the product in a pharmacy, whether it's a counterfeited medicine or whether it's an original. Okay. And uh, you see a lot of this kind of innovation happening. And this is sort of empowering and facilitating change. Thank you for the insightful answer, Padmashree. Um, the coronavirus pandemic set us in a new era of the digital world, pushing society to interact virtually and join and be active on all kinds of social media platforms. How important is national digital development? Um, and where do you see it failing at this crucial time? That's a really uh, interesting question, I think. And there's so many different um, uh, aspects to it. So, I mean, let me begin with, I mean, COVID-19 has done something um, tremendous for digitalization, right? Because COVID-19 has pushed us all, you know, they have, it forced us all to digitally interact. And uh, in some sectors and some industries have become really important over the last few months. Let me give you a few examples. For instance, uh, social media has become very important because as we all sit isolated in our own homes, we rely much more on social media platforms to connect. Then uh, the retail sector, the digital retail sector has become extremely important, right? Because we all now use, and actually the statistics, I was, uh, you know, they show that there's a real boom in digital retail. Uh, another sector that has become extremely important over the last several months is really digital communication, you know, like Zoom and other platforms that offer, uh, you know, online communication. And education, digital education has become very crucial, you know, and there's been a lot of movement in trying to move schools online and trying to move sort of entire employment streams online. So, and, but what it also does is that it exposes a lot more actually to the risk of, you know, uh, data protection, data misuse, what's happening to children when they are moving or now to online platforms. Uh, to for education purposes, okay, and uh, is the data governance system ready? No, the answer to that is no. The data governance system is not ready to cope with that, at least in most parts of the world. And this makes national digital development strategies extraordinarily important, extraordinarily important, because and 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 there is a debate that's been going on in the G7 over the last few years, especially in countries like Canada, the European Union, and so on, about what really is a national digital development strategy and how can we have comprehensive national digital development strategies, right? 
And uh, about a year and a half ago, I actually organized a workshop on how can we articulate comprehensive national digital development strategy uh, at the Berkman Science Center in Harvard, where, where, where I'm a fellow. Uh, exactly for this purpose, to see, you know, what would be a national digital development strategy? Is it just restricted to, you know, very narrow defined development strategies that tell us how to use digital strategies for economic development? And the answer to that is no, that's not what we need. What we really need is really digital development strategies, which, uh, where, you know, the government performs a few functions, okay? And to put it broadly, in a true national digital development strategy, the government should perform at least three functions. The first one is the government should provide actually the right kind of digital infrastructure. Okay. And by that I really mean that what we what we have now, you know, what we have, we take uh, so if we if we are organizing something in a particular way, okay, uh, say uh, you know, I don't know, uh, tax. When you, when you convert that into an e-taxation system, should it have to look in the same way? Or do, can we have a completely different way of service organization, okay? And what is the kind of digital infrastructure, a sort of a technology governance system that the government can provide where we are not talking about siloed technology stacks, one giving us an identification system, one giving us a tax system, one giving us a sewage system, one giving us a in a banking system, but where we can have a breathable, circular governance technology system where the user has much more control on the personal data that is generated and stored and used in this system. Okay, and this is basically what Tim O'Reilly called a long time ago, you know, government as a platform. And, you know, the government as a platform is yet to emerge. You know, we need the government to become the main platform economy and not private firms to provide us the platforms, right? And that's one thing that the National Digital Development Strategy should, should foresee and provide for. The second thing we need to do in a National Digital Development Strategy is really to look at how can the government become a pioneer of digital activities, as in, in a large number of countries, even in a large number of European countries, right? I mean, digital enterprise is not reaching its potential because there are a range of risks involved in digitizing, okay? And firms find it hard to access big data and to use AI and cloud computing and to devise these solutions. And so, and this, this question becomes even more important in developing countries, right? So. How can the state become the pioneer of, of digital development? And these questions, and, and then the third question is really, how can the government regulate the digital economy in an effective way? So the government as a, as a digital infrastructure provider, the government as a digital development facilitator or pioneer, and then the government as a regulator. And in my view, all the three of these things are linked. You know, the government needs to ensure by providing the open platform for, 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 for a single and a circular technology ecosystem, the government needs to ensure that there is enough protection for individual users. There is a, a very strong system in place that actually, uh, you know, uh, enables and foresees and controls how firms operate and how technologies like artificial intelligence 
safeguard personal protection and inclusiveness and uh, you know uh, protection against discrimination and in this process the government can also make a large uh, number of data available as metadata as or as non-personal data for firms to innovate you know and through that it could facilitate the development of local digital enterprises so all of this is really integrated and we are really lagging behind in understanding this kind of a digital ecosystem in which countries should function so this is a long answer to your question and so yes digital development strategies are crucially important and we, I, we see it failing in these terms you know i see it failing enormously because for instance take a look at the introduction of national biometric programs in a large number of countries in the developing world we are not we are not constructing a circular digital ecosystem where we are where the government is the custodian of the platform and the government is actually uh, creating an, a peer-to-peer -peer network that's secure where the users have control of the data we don't see that what you see is that you see a technology stack, a silo technology stack, which is created either with the government, uh, interacting with the private firm, or through private firms and, and other agencies, where you know biometric systems are created, and 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 these biometric systems, they can then be used for multiple of purposes, and sometimes the users have no control on it, and this makes this kind of data prone to misuse, and that's why you have all these fears or also the misuse of several states of biometric data systems or data collection programs for state surveillance. And this is something we really need to, to, to stop. We need to really try to understand and try to articulate and foster the creation of comprehensive digital development strategies. Padmashri, um, what are the best recent examples of technological change for sustainable development? Um, and uh, in what ways it can transform our future? Well, there are so many in recent times. But for me, you know, the thing is, okay, so there are lots of technological changes in the, in the realm of sustainable development or that can be applied to sustainable development, right? So to name a few, for instance, and I think these are really important, um, there are changes in, in the energy Field. Huh? So there's been uh, a lot of technological innovation that drives down the price of wind and solar, okay, making it really possible to imagine renewable energy as the main source of electricity and for use in several end use sectors. There's also, I think, a very promising development uh, is um, the growth of the hydrogen economy, especially with a real sort of possibility of having cheap green hydrogen. And then you also have um, enormous technological power for sustainable development in digital technologies like big data and artificial intelligence. Just to give you an example, you know, you can have artificial intelligence um, to monitor population and, and health, right? You, population health. So basically the health trends in a broader set of people or a population, okay? Um, this is very useful to forecast and prepare for what is about to happen and what might be the needs. Huh? So for instance, I work with, uh, with uh, recently uh, with an example where, you know, you can use artificial intelligence to measure um, the, uh, 
kind of drugs sold, okay, and uh, prescribed and sold in pharmacies in, in countries, okay. Now, if you would have a compilation of this kind of information, this is very useful for a lot of things. First, it's very useful for, for policy making on pharmaceuticals. It's very useful to trace the kind of drugs that are being prescribed and used. It's very used to trace the efficacy of healthcare. It's very useful to check the quality of drugs. It's also very useful to understand what disease patterns, in which places, in urban, rural, and so on. This is just this is just phenomenal. So so yes, there's uh, these are some of the examples of of how technology is helping us to understand uh, and 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 promote sustainable development. Coming from um, an interdisciplinary background, a significant part of your work deals with renewable energy. What are the challenges and opportunities in renewables beyond uh, 2021? I think the biggest challenge, challenge in the area of renewable energy is that uh, you know uh, we are missing the window. We are missing the window to act effectively on climate change. A fundamental reason for that, uh, for this year has been that much of the energy uh, and the pulse of change at the global level has been, you know, captured by COVID-19, right? So a huge problem is that we are really missing this window, okay? I think the UN has recently released a report, and I think the UNSG has said that, you know, we need to call for, for climate emergencies, right? We are really um, at at a, at a sort of a juncture where we if we don't act, we are going to be in big trouble. Now, the the good part, okay, the opportunities. Let me start with the opportunities and then come to the challenges, right? The opportunity is there because there is so many new things happening in the area of renewable energy. The one thing that I told you, which is really low-hanging fruit, is uh, the falling prices of, of wind and solar that make renewable energy a realistic option. It's a realistic option. Policymakers need to take note of it and need to act on it. Okay, that's one real great opportunity. There are other many opportunities. The you know you're having um, enormous amounts of technological change in crucial sectors in 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 uh, in, in uh, renewable energy for instance in biofuels okay biofeedstocks for use in uh, chemicals and plastics uh, you also have you know um, electron uh, electronic batteries okay which can facilitate transformation of uh, transport okay and aviation and you have the growth of hydrogen and especially green hydrogen. And I think we need to really start to anticipate and really create incentives for industry to capitalize on it. And the big challenge lies exactly here is that, you know, what we are doing now and a large amount of the focus in renewable energy and climate change, unfortunately, until now is on reducing carbon emissions and on energy efficiency, okay, and so on. And this is really important. It's not to, not to trivialize it. It's really important to, to think about ways to reduce carbon emissions and to promote energy efficiency. 
but it's definitely not going to be enough. We are in 2021, and the Paris Agreement on Climate Change has set a target of reaching 1.5 degrees Celsius and going below that, okay, to zero emissions by 2060. If you want to reach to zero emissions by 2060, you have to convert uh, crucial sectors that are really responsible for a large share of the emissions. And these sectors are really key core industry and aviation sectors, okay? So shipping, a lot shipping, which is really the, you know, um, really a significant share of global trade. Then, uh, you know, freight transport, road transport, and then, you know, aviation, which is really, it consumes massive amounts of fuel and are, it's responsible for major carbon emissions. And, and these sectors need to transform. Then you have core industry sectors like iron and steel, you know, iron and steel, cement production, lime production, okay, and chemicals and plastics. These sectors, if you put them together, they're responsible for more than half of global emissions today. So what we need really, and the challenge really is to transform this, because these sectors, they consume so much fossil fuels and they are so fossil fuel dependent for production right now, that you need to change these sectors. The challenge here is, of course, that a large number of these uh, these industries, okay, they're very price sensitive, okay? So iron and steel, for instance, is the input for most things in manufacturing. But, you know, uh, all of these value chains that use steel is very sensitive to the price of steel, okay? So normally the tendency for industry is to source the cheapest input and to produce it. And if you change that, you will change the, the price sensitivity of steel and iron, okay? So that's one issue. The second issue is really that when, uh, you, when different regions of the world try to transform, you're going to have completely different effects on industry, okay? So if, if the European steel industry now decides to transform to producing green steel, which it is really um, investing heavily towards, then this green steel has to become price competitive with uh, gray steel or the sort of fossil fuel steel. And if you, until that doesn't happen, okay, gray steel will be much cheaper than green steel. And today, for instance, more than 50% of global steel is produced in China. And if China stops to produce this, the existing trend suggested it's going to move towards other countries. So the real question is, how are we going to create competitive markets in a way that firms that make investments actually in these uh, greener technologies don't suffer? That's one thing, okay? So you need to somehow provide first mover advantages for firms to start transitioning. But at the same time, you have another paradox, which is that when you make these sectors transition, you're obviously going to impose even greater difficulties on the manufacturing sector in developing countries, right? So you're going to impose another layer of difficulties for firms which are already struggling to build capacity by saying that they, all of this needs to move towards, you know, um, zero carbon production. So how are you going to support that? How are you providing investments? What is the kind of technology needed? These are really going to become real big challenges in terms of, you know, using renewable energy for transforming end use sectors and in uh, promoting actually a carbon neutral economy over the next 30 years. 
Thank you very much for this interesting and insightful conversation.